people of the world, and welcome to the very first episode of the Unity Project podcast. Today is an incredibly important day. If you've been following me along for any certain amount of time now, you might know that it has been my dream to start this podcast for a very long time, and I cannot believe that it is finally the day. But if you don't know me, my name is Jackie, I'm 25 years old, I am a wannabe dolphin trainer and a chocolate chip cookie enthusiast, and I am extremely curious about the world. I've had a video blog on YouTube since I was about 16 years old, and that vlog was about a variety of topics. It was anything from Kesha music video parodies in my best friend's basement to me peeling back layer after layer of some of the most important topics in my life. Anything from faith to sexuality to mental health things like depression, anxiety, sexual assault, eating disorders. I talked about everything on that video blog, and it was an incredibly important and special part of my life and part of my growing up over the past 10 years. I have a lot of gratitude for the oddly safe place that it became for me during some of the most challenging years of my life. Through all of my different hairstyles and cities and apartments and tour buses that I lived and filmed on, that vlog really helped me grow up. But right now, at 25 years old, I feel like I have never known less about the world. I feel like I've never had more questions and less answers than I have any of these other days of my life. But I'm learning that that is the point. Life is found in the questions and the wonderings over the complexities that life throws at us. As frustrating as it gets sometimes, I'm grateful to not know the answers. But all that being said, I want to welcome you to a podcast that has been growing inside of my heart for a long time. Last year, I decided I wanted it to be my last year of vlogging, and I decided that I wanted to start my podcast at the beginning of 2020. That sounded like a great and doable plan until my therapist told me that she thought I needed to go away to eating disorder treatment. When she told me that, I felt like the rug that was my world just got pulled out from under my feet. It was like nothing made sense. I felt like a failure. I felt like I had just worked so hard and fought so intentionally for healing and now I'm just winding up here. But I've realized now that for the majority of last year, I was running on this hamster wheel. I was trying so hard to convince the world that I was okay because I had to be okay. I was seeing an incredibly badass therapist. I just published a book. I had a good job. I had good friends. How could I possibly be struggling? But the truth was I was dying inside and I was trying to offer the world some shell of a person instead of an actual human being. Outwardly, I made sure to appear as if everything was fine, but the second I got uncomfortable and started feeling things, I would run away. Whether that looked like running to my eating disorder, a glass of wine, or a literal six-mile run. I just didn't want to be alone with myself, and I sure as hell did not want to be inside of my own body. So in November of last year, my therapist, one who saw past my mask in an instant, she did the kindest thing that she could have done for me in that moment and offered me a way back to myself. She offered me a way back inside of my own body. So after four incredibly challenging yet such important months, I discharged from treatment earlier this week. I think the main thing that I took away from my experience is that my eating disorder is not about food, oddly enough. As silly and simple as that sounds, it's about everything underneath the food. I learned quickly that an eating disorder is not a monster, but it's a survival strategy in a world and a body that has felt unsafe. Recovering from an eating disorder has been the messiest, clumsiest, most color outside of the line things that I've ever tried to do. This whole journey has primarily just been a process of learning to step back inside of my own body. 
It's been about learning how to listen to myself and pay attention to what my body needs and wants. That feels absolutely terrifying because all my life I've lived under these false sets of rules that told me don't hunger, don't desire, don't want, don't feel. Those rules, as sad as they are, kept me safe, but I don't need them anymore. This has been a reunion with myself, learning who I am and what I like and want and that that is okay. I am allowed to hunger, I am allowed to want and to need and to desire. I have permission to take up space. Treatment for me was all about connection. Connection with others, yes, but most importantly, it was about connection with myself. Connection with my body is the point. Realizing that has made me wonder about all these different things in my life that have brought me to disconnection with myself. I've wondered about religion, diet culture, politics, sex, relationships. What messages have we been receiving? What have we been listening to? And is it possible in today's world to live a life fully connected to our bodies? So that's what I want to talk about on my podcast. I think my least favorite thing about my vlog was that there were so many deeply important topics that I tried to talk about, but I was only able to scratch the surface with a 5-10 to minute video. My hope for this podcast is that it can be a safe and open space for me to explore these topics in greater length than with other people's voices that I know and that I trust. I hope that the Unity Project podcast will be a place where we can all explore these things together. I am so incredibly excited to start to have these conversations, to ask these questions, and to just dig a bit deeper. So thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon. I'm a runner. Mile after mile, sweaty, broken-down muscles pleading for calm. My body begs me to slow down, to rest, to pay attention, but I don't listen. Instead, I throw my earbuds in and I turn the volume up. Instead, I continue to disconnect. Running is woven into my DNA. I live inside of a body constantly in motion, a blur of buzzing energy. But here in this place, they have asked me to stand still. They have asked me to notice myself. This is a necessary slowing down of breath and muscle and bone. This is how broken, worn-down bodies begin to heal. This is what terrifies me the most. I'm a runner, they tell me. A runner, an avoider, a number, and a highly sensitive human being. I have never known how to be still. Running has always come naturally to me. I run for many reasons. The feeling of freedom that accompanies the wind beating against my face, or the strength I feel coursing in my veins as I push myself past my own records. But if we're telling the truth, the true reason behind my movement is much less exciting. I have a desperate, visceral need to escape my own body. Whether that looks like physically running down a trail or moving across the country, my intentions remain the same. Pain would happen, trauma would follow, and then came the sitting. The sitting was the scary part. The sitting was the part of the story where I had to deal with the overbearing pain that follows trauma. That was my cue to escape. When trauma enters a person's life, their body holds onto it as if the past threat is happening in present time, still believing they're in danger. That's where hypervigilance comes in to protect, leaving us fighting, fleeing, or freezing. This response is translated in various ways, all of which are strategies our bodies are using to try keeping us safe from this threat they have encountered. Our bodies are not aware that they are out of danger now. To protect me from that potential threat, my body has creatively adjusted to what methods have proven useful. Often, that strategy looks like either slipping on my tennis shoes and hitting the track, 
or packing my bags and getting in my car to run away altogether. In that running, I found that what I was attempting to escape from was, in the end, my own self. I learned from a young age that my body was not a safe place. Rather than it being a welcoming home, it proved to be an objectified jail cell that I was trapped inside. These lessons were revealed by watching those close to me carefully growing up. I witnessed the discomfort my mother expressed inside of her own skin, what strategies she used for an escape, and learned what was expected of my body in return. I saw the different fad diets and workout programs she would start regularly. Constantly, she would discuss how much weight she wanted to lose, how skinny she used to be, and how her and my dad promised each other when they got married that they wouldn't get fat. I quickly learned what was expected of me as a woman was to be thin and how thinness equated to being worthy and lovable. The only way to stay safe was to stop eating, leaving the human needs of my body as the enemy. At the age of 17, my world got ransacked after I was raped by my best friend's boyfriend. With cold, shaking, sweaty hands, I looked at myself in the mirror that night and did not recognize the person staring back. I took off my clothes and brought my gaze down to see them in my grasp, realizing that they no longer belonged to me. I did not belong to me. My body was a stranger and my soul was not safe there. That's when running away from myself became what felt like my only choice. In the days that followed, I was desperate to rid myself of the darkness that made itself at home inside my body. Night after bitter, lonely night, binge drinking became my new normal. Getting drunk was a perfect escape route and a newfound method of running. When the light in my eye began to fade and darkness started to set up camp, the numbingly addictive result of five shots of liquor had proven effective. Suddenly, if even just for a moment, alcohol made that pain vanish. However, getting wasted only worked for so long. The numbness would play its part, but that transitioned quickly to the isolation of my pillow when the night came to an end. The shadows found there overpowered the avoidance that occurred prior. After partying lost its spark, failing to bandage up my scars, I decided to try moving across the country instead. Through this newfound strategy, I was hopeful that my ghost would tire of the chase and abandon me somewhere on I-15. Once I arrived in California, my first move, I started what I considered to be my dream job. With that job, the danger of my body never left, and new and exciting escape routes quickly appeared. My dream job, I later discovered, looked like assisting a narcissistic musician who lied about his age so he could, as I was told, stay relevant with young girls. At the time, however, this musician had the power to make me feel on top of the world, taking away the pervasive self-hatred, shame, and fear about myself that I previously held. Desperate for a break from my inner demons, trading him my power for a sense of safety and self-worth seemed like a fair exchange. I had no idea how dangerous the trail I was running was about to become. Throughout the course of my time at this job in L.A., I learned that love and connection were prizes to be earned. In order to earn them, I needed to be as small as possible. L.A. culture taught me the importance of running countless miles a day after hours in the gym, followed by nothing but a green juice for nourishment. The lonely notion of needing a full meal was unheard of. To further my grooming on the West Coast, my boss commented regularly on how I used to be thicker, which he told me made him so sad, so it's good that I became thin. He reinforced that I needed to keep doing whatever it is I was doing to stay small, which I knew meant to continue eating as little as humanly possible. Wow, you're so skinny today, Jax, he would say as he pulled me towards himself to feel my stomach. He seemed so happy that I was skinny, as that was something I was doing for him. My body was still hungry, but I convinced it not to be. 
I ignored my basic desires for food as my boss admired my thin body instead. I felt as if it belonged to him now, and I needed his approval and affection to convince me that I was worthy. I accumulated more shame and self-hatred through the course of that job than I was capable of carrying, but continued to keep my mouth shut and emotions at bay. The less I ate, the less of a burdensome person I felt I was. With every mile ran and every meal skipped, I became that much closer to a worthy, accepted, morally good woman in the distorted eyes of myself and those around me. Not eating transformed from a strategy to be loved into a strategy to survive. Piece by piece, I was losing who I was, uncertain if I ever did know in the first place. In order to compensate for the shame now molded into my being, I looked to religion to convince myself and others that I was okay. It was in religion, however, that I found these messages of thinness equating worthiness continuing to be enforced. In places as intimate as the pulpit at church, pastors would start their sermons talking about their different diets and workout programs. We were taught things from the success of keto to how eating a banana is no different than eating a Snickers bar, all from a man claiming to be the voice of God. Not only did my body shrink, but my spirit quickly followed. Five years later, at 24 years old, I began one of the most honest, revealing, strenuous healing ventures of my life. I swallowed my fears, walked into a building, up a set of stairs, through a door, and into a therapist's office. I sat on a couch, hugged a pillow, and failed to hide my truth in front of another human being once more. Although it wasn't that first session that transformed me, but the weekly courageous decision to keep showing up afterwards. Messy, afraid, hands shaking, not ready. I kept showing up. One of the most frustrating questions that my therapist asks is to notice different things happening in my body. Where do you feel this in your body? She asks. Notice that, she says. Until recently, I've never known how to respond because my body has never felt like a part of who I am, but an object to be molded into the world's standards. I have started reflecting on the fact that I make every effort to look in a mirror as little as possible. I make every effort to keep noise going on in the background, whether it be a podcast, music, or a TV show, also that I won't have to hear the thoughts in my own head. As it turns out, I am still running. Through society, culture, and religion, I have learned that my body is not to be trusted and is not safe, and that I am not my own. Don't feel, don't desire, don't hunger, they said. I have been taught that when my body is in pain, push through it. When my body gets hurt, rub dirt on it. When my body wants food, sleep, rest, don't listen, stay small, work harder, be tough. In order to succeed and feel safe in life, I learned that disconnection from my body is key. I don't want to see me because I'm afraid of me. But lately I've begun to wonder about the body messages I was given for so many years. I've begun to question what rigidity has brought me to this place of self-evacuation. What are these rules that I've been following? What if by following them I'm betraying myself? What if by ignoring my body I'm ignoring my humanity? What if every time we hide, every time we adjust, filter, mold, we're betraying who we are? I went on a journey a couple years ago to find out what the word home meant to me. I asked every person I could find, listened to all the podcasts and read all the books and moved to as many places as I could just trying to find it. I came to the conclusion that home is where you belong, and upon that conclusion I realized that the home I was looking for was a home inside of my own body. That put me under the impression that my journey was complete. However, I've learned that revelations are not finish lines, they're starting points. 
They are lights that brighten up the next path I am being led to walk down. Knowing that I was looking for a home inside of my own skin wasn't the end of the mission, but the beginning of the next chapter. What would it look like to feel at home inside of my body? I want to notice what my body is saying. I want to learn how to give her what she needs and listen when she's in pain. Instead of shaming my body for what she feels, I want to hold space for her, have compassion for her. I want to treat my body with the loving kindness that breathes life. My body is my own. She deserves to be listened to. She has a lot to say. I honor the strategies that you've used, Jackie. I honor them and they make sense. Your body was trying to keep you alive with what you had, the therapist said in that office. My body spoke up. This time I began to listen.